Bibles with me to James 2. This is where we'll be picking up this morning, and we are going to get through about half of the second chapter of James. James is going to warn about showing favoritism, and he's going to tell us that faith without works is dead, all in this second chapter. The first 13 verses talk about loving faith, and verses 14 through 26 tell us about living faith. Verse 1 reads, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. We were all bought at the same price. Don't let your preconceived notions get in the way of someone hearing the good news. And it's easy to do. We can let our own conceptions, these own contrivances of our flesh, get in the way of sharing the gospel. And even get in the way of living the way that we need to live in order to let other people see the gospel through us. Now, I like James because he shoots it straight. We see so many command verbs in his writing. He'll tell you straight up how it is, but then he'll give you an example to help you understand what he's saying. We saw this in chapter 1 when he commanded us to obey the word, and then he gave us an illustration about this man looking in the mirror. If you look into the mirror and you do nothing about how terrible you look, the mirror is not actually doing you any good. But if you look into the mirror, you see, man, I'm looking rough this morning. And then you fix your hair, wash your face, you do something about it, then that's good on you. And the mirror actually helped you. He now tells us to not hold our faith with partiality. He then gives us this example. Verses 2 through 4 read, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings in fine apparel, And there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there or sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, I heard Pastor Ron Hint at Calvary Houston share a wild story while we were down there for a conference a number of weeks ago. Now, whether he witnessed this or he heard it through the grapevine, I don't actually remember, but he told us of this Sunday morning and the sanctuary, big church, was just packed. There was no more room to sit. The balconies had just filled up, and It was just standing room only. Worship went off without a hitch. Everything went great, sounded wonderful. The pastor took the stage. He opened in prayer, and he began to deliver his message. He had just started when he saw the doors in the back open. And through the doors walked this man in a dirty T-shirt, and blue jeans. And you could tell that he hadn't been cleaned up in a few days. 
the pastor just kept an eye on him as he started slowly down the center aisle. And he saw heads turning from both sides of the crowd towards the man as he got closer and closer to the podium. The man reached the front row, looked around, saw nowhere to sit. So not seeing anywhere to sit, he took a seat in the center aisle on the carpet. As he was sitting down, the pastor saw some movement from the back, and it was one of the elderly deacons. Uh, had to use his cane to get around, but he started making his way down to the man sitting in the center aisle. And as he shuffled down, everybody knew what had to happen, you know. So he got down close to the man. Uh, He bent down towards him, and then he took a seat right next to him. This elderly deacon came and sat next to the man on the floor. Everyone's eyes were fixed in that direction. The pastor, after a few moments of silence, uh, he didn't know what to say, but when he found the words, this is what he said. Y'all will probably forget what I preached this morning, but you will never forget what you just witnessed. How true is that? That display, um, not holding his faith with partiality, treating everyone as the important, blood-bought children that they are. You know, James is really saying here, don't treat anyone poorly. I grew up with a carpenter who turned out to be the son of God, and that speaks volumes, especially coming from the brother of Jesus Christ. Now, no doubt, it's hard to wrangle this propensity that we have to treat people different. But once you step foot in here, we are all equals in Christ, male and female, slave and free, black and white, Jew or Gentile. There is no distinction in Christ. We see that outlined very clearly for us in Galatians 3.28. Have we not all been bought with the same precious blood of Christ. Paul wrote a letter to his friend and fellow Christian Philemon. It was a a bit of an awkward subject that he had to cover, but he did it well. Onesimus was a slave of Philemon's who ran away and apparently stole from Philemon in the process. It happened that Onesimus came to know Christ through Paul's work. And Paul was sending Onesimus back to Philemon, his rightful master. But there was one big difference in sending Onesimus back. Paul pleaded with Philemon in this letter to receive Onesimus no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother in Christ. I have no doubt that it would have been difficult for Philemon to, one, forgive Onesimus for running away and stealing his property. And also, it would be difficult for him to receive Onesimus, once his slave, as a brother in Christ, as an equal. It went 
against the grain of the current culture. And this would have actually been a fairly common situation in the early church. Slavery was extremely prevalent in Rome and in the surrounding areas. And it was common for slaves and masters to come together under the same roof to worship. It made for an interesting dynamic, no doubt, but the masters are equal with their slaves in Christ. It was not fitting for anyone to show partiality to a master over a slave. And that's exactly what we have in this text this morning. There's a teaching, and it's so wrong, that if you're not financially stable, if you're not driving a Ferrari and experiencing this financial success, that there is some unbelief or lack of faith That's the root cause of that. Look at verse 5. Listen, my beloved brother, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? That very clearly says God has chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Interesting. God's goal is not to stuff your pockets. He may choose to bless you monetarily. And that's a wonderful thing if he does. And we can use that to further his kingdom. But I will tell you one thing. If you have ever lived paycheck to paycheck, you know all too well that your faith is tested and by extension, patience is produced more in that situation than if you are comfortably sitting on your retirement fund. Living paycheck to paycheck, you have to rely on God's provision. There's definitely something to be said for that test. You see, we naturally tend to rely more on our money, if we have it, than on the Lord. We don't want to rely on natural things. We don't want to put our faith in something that moth, rust, and thieves can destroy, can be taken away from us so, so easily. If you remember the financial crisis of 2008, Everyone's money was stored up. We were feeling good. The market crashes and everything goes downhill. If you had placed your faith in your retirement, in your savings, your world was rocked. We have to place our faith in something that is not going anywhere. That is Jesus Christ. We tend to rely more on our money when it's abundant then we rely on God's provision. But God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. Verse 6 reads, But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do not they blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? You know what else? God owns the cattle 
on a thousand hills. All of creation is his. He made it and he sustains it. If we look at the richest man in the world, as of last night when I checked, it was Elon Musk, at a net worth of $237 billion, with a B, dollars. That's insane to even ponder. But we know that these riches pale in comparison to the riches of the Father. We would do well to treat everyone as equal because this is exactly how God sees us. There's no distinction in wealth between me and Elon Musk in God's eyes. We might as well all be the poorest man alive. And certainly spiritually, before we're saved, we are poor and destitute with no hope, nothing. What is it all worth anyway if you spend eternity apart from him? Wouldn't we do better to place our faith in him than in our money? Verse 8 reads, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. We do not love our neighbor as ourselves if we show partiality to them. In this, we are convicted by the law. It says very plainly that you break the law if you show partiality. Verse 10, whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of it all. If you are being being brought before a jury for murder, and they ask you to defend your innocence on the witness stand, would you take the stand and say, well, I didn't commit adultery, so I should be good, right? No, of course not. You're being tried for murder. Not even, you're not even being tried for adultery. You would not take the stand and point to your innocence in one crime to defend against your guilt in another crime. James echoes this teaching from Jesus, who said, Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you remember back in chapter 1, I mentioned that a lot of what James writes in his letter is echoing what Jesus said on the Mount, in his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, We can find that in Matthew 5 through 8 area. This is one of those times. James is echoing Jesus' teaching that whoever breaks one of the commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. If someone steals a candy shop 
from the local convenience store and someone kills someone, they are both transgressors of the law of the land. Both of them have broken a law. You have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. The law of liberty is ushered in by this gospel of grace. Now, living under grace, we should not judge as if we were still under the law. If we live under the law of love, but do not extend this same love to our neighbor, that law of grace condemns us still more heavily than the old law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Remember, we will be judged using the same ruler, that's the idea, as we judge with. So if we use a yardstick to judge someone, we also will be judged with a yardstick. If we use a little one-foot ruler to judge someone else, that's the same ruler that we will be judged by. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. During the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, this is the converse of what Jesus said. Now, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. So if the merciful receive mercy, the unmerciful will receive judgment. Now, verse 14, I'm going to break into this section a little bit, and then we'll get the meat of it next week. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James is telling us, you have to have an active faith. Faith in its pure form, is active. You cannot separate a true faith from works. They come together. And the works are simply an outflowing of what Christ has already done in your life through faith. If I am the wretched sinner that I am, and I have been so graciously bought by the blood of Christ, I am going to be so overjoyed that I inherently want to do good works, to represent my Savior well. And that's all he's saying here. Martin Luther felt that the book of James shouldn't be included in the New Testament. 
He felt that it was too legalistic. But James says, if the Gentiles just stay away from idolatry and adultery, they'll be fine. You know, don't drink the blood of things. There is no legalism here. This 100% lines up with what Paul writes. A lot of people like to compare Paul and James and look at their differences. Really, there aren't any differences. They are both writing through the inspiration of the same Holy Spirit. And we can see that through the text, through what they actually write. And I'm excited to look more at that next week. And we'll give you a rundown, compare some of the verses that both of these men wrote. Verse 16, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We all know if I'm starving to death, I'm literally starving to death, sitting at my kitchen table, and I have a loaf of bread sitting on the counter, we all know that that bread is effective for saving my life, prolonging it at least. But if I do not get up and eat that bread, it does me no good. You see, we can have all of the knowledge in the world, and if it's not applied, if there is not an active part of that, it does us no good. The Israelites, I love this example. The Israelites had to apply the blood of the the slain lamb on their doorposts during the Passover. That was the way that the angel of death knew to skip over that household. It had to be applied. And James in the first chapter says, don't stop with hearing the word. Be doers of the word. Apply it to your own lives and live it out. That's what James is telling us. Now he's saying, you know, test your faith. Don't just say you have faith. Later he'll say, you think you have faith? Well, show me your faith without works, and I'll just show you my faith by my works. Faith comes along with works. I'm so excited to dig into this more next week, uh, but we're going to stop our study there for now and pick up back in verse 14 and run through that again next week. If you would, please pray with me as we close. Mm -hmm.